Hey, it's me, uh, Ben, from the podcast Bunta Vista. I am recording this in my hotel room in beautiful Emerald, Queensland, where I am having a surprise three-day holiday because I fucked up my car driving in the mud. Um, what you're about to hear is not an episode of Bunta Vista. Uh, I'm doing, I guess, what those in the, the social media industry would call a cross-post Um, It's an episode of the podcast, Don't Worry, It's Not Just You, uh, from our dear friend Phoebe Paradise, who you might recognise from the episode Queensland Red's Brain. Uh, The reason I'm cross-posting this um, is shameless self-promotion, and also because it's really good. So this episode was done with Phoebe, uh, a local Brisbane artist named Sam McKenzie, myself, and of course, my best friend and business partner, the other Ben, Ben Jungles, who you might know from me frequently mentioning him on the podcast as a just, I don't know, he comes up a lot. I spend a lot of time with him. Um, We did this episode as part of a series that, don't worry, it's not just you, uh, is going to do where they talk to a series of artists who are doing an art show um, as feature presentation that is connected to the film festival that all of us, all of the four of us are doing, uh, called the Brisbane Only Rotoscope Lightning Film Festival, or BALF. Um, This is the first episode of it, uh, and we just sort of go through, talk about all the movies, talk about Rotoscope Lightning, talk about the Australian Daybill as a concept. Um, I was a little bit sourced while we were recording, which I think adds an air of madcap mayhem to it. (laughs) Uh, but it's really good. Um, so yeah, I thought I would chuck this on here as well so that you can listen to it. Uh, com for tickets to Balf. Uh, even as not a promotional exercise, it's also a good episode. Um, I've taken up enough of your time. Enjoy this. Uh, hope you're doing well. Bye. Your presentation. All right. Hello and welcome to episode one of our very special feature presentation mini series. My name is Phoebe Paradise and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Sam McKenzie. Hi, Sam. Hi, Phoebe. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to talk today uh, about movies, about feature presentation, mm-hmm. about the art of cinema and day bills. Um, I'm really excited to jump in. So we had our first exhibition last year and it was such a hoot that we've come back swinging and this time we're teaming up with the inimitable 2-Bit Movie Club and Netherworld for their first ever feature film festival. That's right. (laughs) Brisbane's only Rotoscope Lightning Film Festival. It's BORF. (laughs) The film (laughs) festival. So nice. It's fun to say it twice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) BORF. BORF. They say lightning only strikes one. Yeah, sure. They they do say that, don't they? (laughs) Um, so today, Sam and I are joined by the genius minds behind this festival, Ben McClay and Ben Nichols. Hello, Bens. Hello, Ben. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this today. How are you guys going? Fantastic. I'm, yeah, I'm great. You're great. Yes. I can tell from just looking at you that you are thriving at the moment. 
I'm rugged up. I'm warm, so yeah. I'm feeling good. I'm not. And I'm a little chilly, actually. <laughs> you famously don't own pants. So. I don't. No, I do have a pair of track pants in the other room, actually, but I, I wouldn't wear them around company. That's just... That's, <laughs> no, that would be disgusting. Only yeah. in the beautiful city of Brisbane, Australia, can in winter you have two guys sitting in a room, one wearing a full beanie jacket, jeans, tracksuit combo, and the other wearing... Tiny shorts. <laughs> Honestly, could you, be could, you could see us yeah. any month of the year and we'd be dressed pretty much exactly yeah. the same. So. <laughs> We've got our looks sorted out and they're sort of climate um. agnostic. I mean, you do have a, you are rocking a flanny. Yeah, that's true. Famously keeping yourself, your arms warm at least. This is cold weather gear as far as I'm concerned. I could go down to Antarctica at this point and I'd be like, all right, I'm prepped. I'm ready. Oh, a bit chilly. It's fresh. Yeah. It's crisp. It's crisp. Brisbane, it drops below 30 <laughs> degrees. Everyone's like, well, might as well be Antarctic yeah. ready at all times. Like, you know. <laughs> um, could you please start off by telling us a little bit about Bullif two-bit movie club, how this all started? Are we going to do a about? B1, B2 situation oh, I mean, here? How are we going to differentiate the, the Ben's? Well, I I'll mean, be you're, Benjamin. You're I'll be Benjamin, Benjamin and yeah. he can be Ben. Yeah. All I right. mean, we are both Benjamins on paper, but you prefer Benjamin. <laughs> I think more it's, than it's, I do, and it's a great way to tell us apart. Yeah, verbally. Yeah. What about Benji? There are a few visual cues you can use as well. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Two Bit Movie Club happened um, because uh, my my dear friend and now business partner Benjamin uh, opened a venue in Fortitude Valley called Netherworld Bar Arcade and Diner, and I said to him in the weeks leading up to its opening, "Hey." can I put on some movies on on a day of the week? And Ben said, sure. And then uh, it turned out some people liked watching some of those. And then we thought, hey, we could probably get goofy with this. Uh, and so we started putting on dumber and dumber events. <laughs> just then, pushing your luck like every week. <laughs> yeah. Well, we went from just being like, hey, here's a bunch of like nostalgia movies from, you know, the 90s and stuff that people want to see. And then being like, what if we did – you know, a clip show entirely of dumb stuff from wrestling from the 80s. And we're like, oh, oh, people want to see that as well. And then we're like, all right, what if we put on a film festival where we don't have uh, the skills, the connections, or (laughs) the money to put on a proper film festival in the sense of like premiering movies or getting movies that are just coming out. Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right, we'll put on a retrospective film festival. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have to pick something to theme that around. There has to be a theme. Well, we chose our great mutual love, which is very specifically Rotoscope Lightning. Rotoscope Lightning. Yeah. And also, I think I'm trying to remember whether we had both first and then tried to come up with something that it could stand for. (laughs) He said you came up with the acronym first and then reverse engineer the content. Well, I think the only reason we did this is because (laughs) during that conversation, we just kept saying BOLF to each other. (laughs) Being like, fuck, that's fun to say. So you've reverse engineered BOLF because, as I said, it's fun to say. I mean, it it really does barely roll off the tongue. BOLF, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a pre-vomit sound. Someone's got like the hot spits. And they're yeah. like, bolf. Yeah. And bolf. we thought it would be very funny uh, to be holding term, a microphone in your hand and to be in front of 200 people and to 11 times in a two-week period say, welcome to bolf. <laughs> and the natural thing to do with the funny bit is to see it through to its furthest conclusion. Oh, so. yeah, that's, yeah. Which is yes. putting on a film yeah. festival. That's the punchline. It's like, you know, when you, a joke is 
you can, uh, you know, it reaches its logical point and then you go further, further until it gets less funny and then it will gradually become funny funny again. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping we get to the point where there's people in the audience just like chanting. Both. Both. Oh my both. god! But everyone says it differently because they don't really know how to say it. Oh, there's a. You know I, mean? I think we've, we've talked about this. This is this is something that we we're hoping to implement in some way throughout that's the festival. It. Yeah, there will be an audience participation the, element, which I personally hate. Audience mm. interaction more than life itself. But uh, I no, I hate being in an audience when it happens. I just hate being in a Marvel movie where audience participation happens. Yeah, that's Outside right. of that, I'm totally fine. We with don't it. want that, but we do want some sort of chance situation going on. Ideally, I like that the uh, so we've we've been running some ads. Uh, on Four Triple Z because mm. Netherworld loves supporting the lovely radio station Four Triple Z, great radio station, uh, one of the best. Uh, where the opening of the ad is a joke about how hard it is to pronounce, which is not something we didn't write anything and give them anything. That's just what they decided to run with. But, <laughs> so but they nice. got it. It's so good. They basically made the ad we would have done anyway. Yeah, it's great. I listened to it. I was like, oh shit, did so, I write that? So both is just. So evocative that it just pulls out of people what you want. Yeah, the reaction we found the perfect sound. You yeah, did. Yeah. You, the onomatopoeia <laughs> to, to bewilder the, the people, festival. but it's also like extremely precise yeah. as to what it conveys. Yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, the perfect kind of branding makes something so obnoxious and obtuse that yeah. people just inevitably can't not stop thinking about you it. You got to think about balls. Think and about and can only happen once yeah. <laughs> as well. Unless, oh, unless. Oh, unless lightning strikes <laughs> no, twice. Or oh, you remove the word lightning. Wow. We'll talk about this yeah, at a later also, date. Yeah. Oh, sorry, to be continued. We're well, getting ahead of ourselves. Maybe there are yeah. a lot of funny noises out there yeah, that's that true. we could probably yeah, yeah. reverse engineer into <laughs> Next many Next year, blap. Bluff. So tell me, so if, one, if you came up with the concept first and the, the the name first, we're working backwards. I'm assuming given these steps, the movies were like the very last decision made, <laughs> like in the in the in the um, think, curation yes, process. Ish. Kind of. Uh, narrowing them down, I think, was the hardest part. Because I have well, we both have very strong opinions about what we like. And we have like ninety percent overlap in the movies that we love uh but also i think it really helps if you're doing something that's as self-indulgent as a retrospective film festival Mm -hmm. around a specific theme of just dumb trash movies that you love uh it really helps to have two people so that if one of you is like oh we're definitely doing these ones and having just someone else to be there like literally not a single person would buy a ticket to that movie (laughs) which so there was a little bit of back and forth on that but not a whole lot. It was just really hard ruling out which ones we weren't going to do. And I think it's mostly got to do with like trying to strike a balance between stuff that everyone really has seen a million times. Yeah, mm. I had a few people sort of come at me on Twitter of being like, you've not done any of the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, like, where is Highlander? Where is Back to the Future? You can watch Back to the Future in your own goddamn home. You've seen you Back to the Future fine. so many times. You don't need to see that at a cinema with a bunch of weirdos. Like. Okay, so the, the criteria is beginning to show itself a little bit here. So the idea would be to select movies that have been necessarily seen as much of a cinematic release as, say, your Back to the Futures and your... Yeah, like, we're, we're being <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm like, oh, what are the most well-known rotoscope movies? Well, I mean, like you could say, pick uh, The Empire Strikes Back as a rotoscope lightning movie because there's a shit ton of it in there. The Attack of the Clones has a ton of yeah. it in there. But like we we want to strike a balance between the, the trash that we love. Stuff uh, you wouldn't have seen at a th- uh, cinema. Yeah, but w- I think our biggest thing we were consciously trying to avoid 
was if, say, and and no shade to Event Cinemas, but if Event Cinemas was going to do a 80s retrospective, <laughs> I don't want it to have the exact same lineup as our film festival. Yeah. Which could easily happen because that rotoscope lightning was in like every 80s movie. Hmm. It's yeah. cool as hell. So, you know, we chose like the big ones that we love, like Big Trouble in Little China, which is nice. a perfect movie, which yep. we, this will be the fourth two-bit movie club Big yep. Trouble in Little China screening at this point. Really? The ultimate two-bit movie club movie. Uh, it'll be the nice. second one we've done at the cinema, but I it's the one we have done the most so because uh, I, I love that movie so fucking the much. That's penultimate two-bit movie club movie yeah it's perfect so. in every way in that it's a mm. perfectly it's a very competently made movie mm-hmm. it's a very smart movie it's very funny it's john carpenter well at his best yeah and it's the hero is an idiot and the conceptually Russell, of course it's insane and it's the best of like a b-movie vibe made by a consummate professional a, a schlocky like blockbuster and it it's a movie that is of like it's perfectly it's a perfectly elegant beast in that like Mm. it is an insane idea presented to you with the minimum amount of steps possible like Mm -hmm. all of the characters of the movie see a bunch of weird shit happen in the first five minutes and go all right well we're in the movie now dream logic it's fantastic yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, movies movies get too bogged down trying to explain things say if this was marvel movies or something sometimes they're a bit uh ashamed of their source material instead of just committing to it so yeah. it becomes a bit of a yes. joke and they have to kind of like go out of their way to like oh that's a dumb name for something i know i'm aware yeah there's 45 minutes like, of trying to prove that the movie is smarter than what the movie is yeah. about yeah. you have it's your just, main character mad max like, fury wrote it just get in just get do it in. for yes. 90 minutes well get out just bite the, the head off a lizard start yeah. your chase and also yeah. just spending characters too much it. time like having the characters trying to convince other characters that this thing I exists I fucking hate that shit Pet, so hate, much absolute mm-hmm. bullshit it's like no 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 we need you to just like accept that this is happening and let the movie happen yeah. god damn it if they believe it the audience can believe it yeah. and also is that the one with the pork chop express yeah it is absolutely it is mm-hmm. it's just such a delightful combination of words kurt russell jamming an enormous sandwich into his mouth in the <laughs> middle of the opening monologue of the movie for no reason whatsoever other than uh john garber to be like hey this will be funny yeah. Yeah. and he's right that's correct <laughs> but once we had the major theme there mm. we had to get the sub themes in mm-hmm. that's right. important okay yes lists are important Just it's important lists. to categorize There's everything tendrils here going yeah. on which is our trying to theme double features that made sense to us as well. Where like we wanted to demonstrate that rotoscope lightning has a, a long history because uh, the the first movie we've got is from the nineteen fifties and the most recent film we've got is from the late nineties. Uh, yeah, so we were like, oh, all right, we need some classic sci-fi in there. We both have a deep love for Forbidden Planet, so that one was kind of easy because uh, that movie is just visually spectacular. Uh, a young Leslie Nielsen playing a role entirely straight, which is so, so weird, funny, unrecognizable. Does he have white hair in this? No, movie? no, no he, he doesn't. He is. I just assumed he would have been gorgeous. With white hair. Yeah. He is young gorgeous and hair. strapping, but and he, strong looking. He's so good at playing a straight man in comedy that watching him play a role straight is absolutely baffling. You're waiting for the pin to yeah, drop. Like. You're like, <laughs> yeah, because you've been conditioned. Yeah, you go. He's got to say something silly soon. Never does. Never right, does. So, says a lot of wildly sexist things Just in there. The and 50s. I think sexism is silly. Yeah. It is well, silly. I'm to put brave. That on but does Thank you for being so brave and vulnerable on this podcast, I'm Ben. I really appreciate it. Does, <laughs> but then does, we have to pick another classic science fiction movie to go with it as well. And uh, I am a massive Showa-era Godzilla fan. And luckily nice. every single one of the first 
15 or so Godzilla movies has a ton <laughs> of rotoscope lighting in there. So I just picked the one that to me is the goofiest and coolest at the same time. Mm. It's one of the most definitive as well, I think, in terms of what is iconic about like that era of Godzilla movies. Because yeah. you got Godzilla, mm-hmm. you got King Ghidra, and Godzilla teams up with one of his cronies, yep. always a kid. And then you got the aliens or the ex-aliens. Yeah. Uh, beautiful, just iconic. Like character design. Design. It's got everything. It's got weird space stuff. Again, they just commit to it. They don't try and explain it too much. Mm-hmm. It's just like, here's what's happening. We're going to a moon of Jupiter, which is planet X or whatever. Yep. And for some reason, King Ghidorah is here just wrecking shit, causing mischief. Yeah, they're really surprised that he's there. Uh, which I guess King Ghidorah can travel through space, so I guess yeah, that he's makes got sense. Wings, right? But he like they fly. rock. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to see this movie, guys. Oh, it's so good. But then, yeah, they're like, well, you know, they just roll with it. They, they just roll with it. With they're like, we need to borrow Godzilla off you to fight this monster. <laughs> the funniest can, can we have of a movie, Godzilla? Please, is can we borrow your Godzilla? We will give you the cure for cancer if you give us Godzilla. It's so uh, good. It works because it's just like you buy into it and it works. Yeah. And Lots of beautiful rotoscript lightning, courtesy of King Ghidorah. And and lots of like a weird funky jazz soundtrack, which oh, is the yeah. hallmark of all those as well. Like it's so good. So you got sci-fi as like a subcategory. Were there any others? That's on the first weekend. Yeah. Also with mullets. Yeah, what do we call that one? Mullets and martial arts? Mush- mullets and martial arts. Yeah. Good so good subcategory. Oh, That's, hell yeah. Yeah, I think I came up with that one. Yeah, good one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so Big Trouble in Little China, obviously, is the... yeah. Obviously, a shoe in because the beautiful mullet on Kurt Russell there, extremely strange themes. Uh, and then a beautiful, absolutely bonkers film, The Last Dragon, which is like a weird combination of a late black exploitation movie and a martial arts movie. Where, <laughs> and this is the case of a few of the movies in the lineup, there is about 30 seconds of, no, I'm going to say less. There's about 15 seconds of rotoscope lightning in it, and it happens in the very final scene of the movie. <laughs> but I was like, no, that's enough. That meets our criteria. So this is a common theme for, for the films. Like, obviously, rotoscope lightning can't be, like, the, no. the we greatest. We did try to find 10 movies that were non-stop rotoscope lightning, yeah. but yeah. it turns out they don't exist. <laughs> None of those are too expensive. Yeah. They can't afford that. So, yeah, The Last Dragon, it's only in the final scene. And it mm. looks great. It's done very well but it's it's very short lived mm. in Hellraiser there are like some tiny crackles on the cube mm. early in the movie and then the final scene some really really great rotoscope yeah. lighting both Adam's family movies only have it in the finale yeah uh, Dune only has it uh, when the worms are doing worm sign so when the worms <laughs> this are this is a visible, tenuous link it's so tenuous <laughs> but also we've been planning on screening Dune since uh, the very very start of the novel coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic June is the other opening weekend thing this is our big launch that's, party that's yeah. the this launch is our opening night gala is yes. June uh, the David Lynch top hats and tail please yeah. Sorry, yes. yes well I said cocktail dress in the event description so top okay. hat and uh, tail might be a little what about what are, they, what are the suits still suit still suits <laughs> yeah. Yeah, still or suits. your best worm outfit We'll also get a prize. <laughs> yes. This is not something that we realised, but when we had first decided to do Dune as a movie, which was at the very start of uh, 2020. I'm pretty sure it was pre the movie Dune coming out. It was. We were delightfully surprised by the coincidence, mm. but we were trying to think of like the things we could add to an event to do Dune Fest, a celebration of 1984's <laughs> Dune. And like, well, we sorted out having someone to do uh, a musical tribute to the score. We were going to get a talk done by someone who had written a book about that movie and your 
Ben's insistence that we have worm dance, which is a non specific idea <laughs> of down. having worm dance as part of the event. This is really embarrassing that you're bringing this up right now because I thought we were still doing this. I thought that was unspoken. We have not lined up our worm dances, unfortunately. I'm not coming in top hat and tails. I'm coming as worm dance. All right. If you can do the worm dance, that will be fine. Uh, really it goes forward, left, a little bit of a slide <laughs> around. The, uh. I really hope that you managed to accidentally hoodwink and trick some people who think they're like, oh, great. Uh, the Denny Villeneuve... Uh, Oh June God. is screening, yeah. and I missed the initial run. Little encore screening to go like six months later. Yeah, and then they show up, <laughs> and there's just worm dance and <laughs> tops. <laughs> tops and Please, yeah. at the start of the screening, you do big speech, and then we just say, and a few minutes silence while I sit there in silence doing the worm dance. Just yeah. the sound of shuffling yeah. feet yeah. in a completely silent oh, but room. Like, like maybe you do the worm. flopping on the floor. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this and you think you could contribute worm dance uh, to the opening night. There is room for three more people in the worm dance suit. Yeah. yet. I would love to know so much what you're picturing, but I also am just so happy to leave it okay. to my imagination. So potential worm dancers, uh, hop on the socials, DM. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. This Don't is worry, the, it's not the just Rorschach you. test of Interesting. the... Interesting, there's <laughs> as many people in this room as there is space in the worm dance suit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm busy that day. <laughs> I, I take June pretty seriously. I don't know about you lot. I take June so fucking seriously and you know that. I take June more seriously than you could believe. Mm. Well, you got a film festival, you got a David Lynch movie. Uh, I haven't actually seen that one, so that's one I'm Are really you serious? It's actually oh. pretty, pretty, hey, pretty look, sick. Yeah, oh, I, 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 everything bad. I've seen about it looks like a nightmarish fever dream. Uh, it rules. And I've been waiting for the opportunity to see it on a big screen. And would you believe it? Worm dance. The opportunity okay. has presented itself. I think if you've in seen the new June and you liked it, it's actually a really beautiful counter counterpoint to to watch. It is. It's a good complimentary movie. To, chaos to mode June. of that movie. I, it's it's a weirdly it's restrained in the sense that like it's not a good David Lynch movie. I think is a way to yeah. describe mm. it. Uh, but if you gave David Lynch, the opportunity to make Star Wars, and then you had someone on staff whose job it was to slap David Lynch's hand if he made Star Wars too weird. That was on the cards for a bit there. Yeah, yeah, it was, which is Imagine. bonkers. Imagine. They wouldn't have let him be David Lynch. But no. Yeah. Return of the Jedi, directed by David Lynch. Sounds like something you dreamed. Which, which is kind of mm. what you get with June, though. Like, okay. it, it's... Uh, he had a very strong influence on its production design, which is outstanding. Like you cannot fault it. It, it. It's a really unique universe that they present that kind of matches the tone of the books really well. Uh, and like, and the, they added sting to it. And then yes. they added sting. The most important <laughs> part. The, like the uh. Denis Villeneuve thing looks like it draws some cues from the David Lynch one, but they all like Denis Villeneuve had never seen it and well, it refused looms, to watch it. It looms large, right? I think it just they both drew on the same cues from the text and then, yeah. like, mm. yeah, I don't know. It, it created something very strange and unique and, like, the pacing of it is actively bad and it feels weird and disconcerting, but mm. it's a... Just ignore that cool. part. Uh, come along to the f- premiere screen. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely yeah, still worth. July 29th, I think the yeah. editing and pacing is actually uh, yeah. great, Dope. right? It's good, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. how, how good we think a movie is is completely irrelevant <laughs> oh. to the reasoning for showing these yeah, movies. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've chosen them all based on watchability, which, mm. you know, is a sort of 
an absolute value. Like a very, very bad movie is very, very watchable in the same way that a very, very good movie is. You don't want a middling movie. We have no middling movies in lineup. I think though. it's one thing that really stands out about the the lineup for the festival is that all of the movies are movies that you like your layman may not have actually watched before. So you're more likely to go to go see. Like I don't know. I'm really excited to see Howard the Duck. I've never seen it yeah. before. Like That's I'm a um, experience. Yeah, I'm really excited <laughs> to see Hellraiser on the big screen. All right. Well, the, so the first weekend, finishing yeah. off June, mm. we are also joined by the uh, wonderful Steady as She Goes. Um, yeah, our pal, Shout out Tal to Tal. Our pal Tal. We love you, pal. Um, who will be performing a tribute to the score so uh, before the film, which will be absolutely. That. Am I awesome. remembering right that the score is? Uh, American rock band Toto. Yes, that's Correct. right. With uh, one or two songs from Brian May as well. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Predominantly was, Toto. He was, must have been very cheap back in that time. Also, he's just like a fucking massive science, like sci-fi nut. Like, that's true. I think he would have just been like, yes, before that. <laughs> you know price. what I think of when I think of space opera? <laughs> Brian, Brian May. May. <laughs> and then the second week, we are kicking off the weekend with a double feature of the Barry Sonnenfeld Adams Family movies. Excellent. Which I, I I personally feel are some of the coolest movies made around that time. I mean, I think you can just look at like uh, how many Wednesday Adams dresses Dangerfield has sold in the last <laughs> 10 years as like evidence of how <laughs> successful they were about worming into people's brains. Mm-hmm. And if Pinterest has anything to say about it too, the number of screenshots from these films, like I feel like oh I've God. seen this movie like in so, its entirety in GIF form. Yeah. They struck, they struck a, a tone to in those two movies yeah. that – uh, is unbelievable. Like if they made that made the Adams Family movies now, they just wouldn't be the same thing in terms of like it would be a little bit more obvious in terms of like yeah. the gothicness of it or the mm. uh, the danger you know that danger field sort of energy. What's mm. the hot topic sort of stuff? <laughs> yeah, sort yeah. of like rockabilly. <laughs> Thank you for making yeah. that an international reference. Great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, more more goth. More goth. Yeah. But yeah. There was, there's this restrained energy to whatever they did with those two movies. That yep, uh, sexual. super horny. Yeah, Inspired so casting. Horny. Angelica yep. Houston as Morticia. Holy Raul fuck. Julia. It's like you said, if they made it today, I remember when they announced that Oscar Isaac was going to be uh, Gomez. Gomez. Yeah, and Jesus everyone's Christ. like losing their minds, like. What beautiful casting, and then it's like in an animated movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, he would have uh, been goddamn perfect. He would have been wonderful. He would actually yeah. generally have been Jesus perfect. Christ. Uh, Maybe someday. Incredibly cool as well. Like that movie coming out, like you know, in the the, the antithesis to married with children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I love my wife. I sleep in a big bed with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because it was in such a like a cultural moment of. Obviously, the nuclear family is the standard, but the mm. standard is also just mi- misery. Yeah, and then mm. to have this like couple where they have a goofy shtick, which is we <laughs> think bad things are good, but yeah. we're so fucking into each other mm-hmm. and into our children, just so publicly horny yeah. all the time. The Adams family were brave enough to say "Happy wife, happy life." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The only ones to do it. The only miserable person in the whole family being Gomez, who seems to have some semblance of like clinical depression in the yeah. movie as opposed to any sort of environment. <laughs> Which they think is there. good, I think, yes. according to their rules. <laughs> Everything in the DSM-5 sounds like a, but he's a recommendation to them. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. They're mm-hmm. wholesome movies. And they look out for their family and they love their family. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm going to go to every well single to one of these movies <laughs> now that I'm going <laughs> through it. <laughs> so after the Adams family, what else have you we got? We have... Weird, fucked up family films. You're doing this all from memory, which is astonishing to me because I have, yeah, I couldn't do this. It's not that many movies. How <laughs> um, the Duck and Super Mario Bros. Yeah. Oh. In that order? Uh, I think so. Mm, no, it good. is. 
It is in that order. Testing him now. How the Duck being a movie for nasty little freaks. Oh my god. Super Mario Bros. being also for nasty little freaks, but in a different way. I think How the Duck is. Again, eminently watchable. This is what I want to couch before everything else I say about it. Mm. Deeply unpleasant film. <laughs> like just the conceptually, you know, he is a duck from outer space, an anthropomorph- anthropomorphic duck from outer space who has come to Earth uh, through some sort of time-space hijinks. Uh, but he is unbelievably horny for human women, one human woman in particular. And they really just make that like the undercurrent of the entire movie. This is, this is also a Marvel movie. Yeah, one of the first live action, well, uh, mainstream Hollywood. Yeah. Directed by a little known director by the name of George Lucas. Yeah, Jorge Lucas, I believe. So you've got right. David Lynch and George, George Lucas. This is a very esteemed film fest. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, early uh, batshit bizarre movie to adapt into like property to adapt into of a movie a horny a horny talking cartoon duck and, yeah. and one from that space. like it, it wasn't like this was Howard the Duck was one where kids were like holy I fuck like, I love Howard the Duck he's my hero he was like a license <laughs> it was a weird nasty little satirical sort of joke character mm. like that no one had that much love for uh it was such a choice but then it also pairs quite well Super Mario Brothers because that is I think the first live action adaptation of uh, a video game as a feature film. The first, yeah. the very wow. first video game movie was the animated Super Mario movie, the Japanese one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the live action one, I'm pretty sure, was the first. So paving the way for such other video game adaptation greats as. Uh Oh shit! I was gonna say Battleship, but that's a board game. Blood it? Rain, Dude. Blood Rain, yeah, Blood Rain. Sorry, I only know that. Blood Resident Rain, Evils. that's yeah. We'll just pretend I said Blood Rain. That's yeah. the one. Trying to mm-hmm. trying to follow the decision making process of what's great about Mario Brothers and <laughs> how can we translate that to the big screen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, an impossible and venture. The only yeah. thing that you keep from the game is plumbers and <laughs> no <laughs> other <laughs> element yep. whatsoever. It's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but is there a lot of like turtle? Killing. They do not jump on a lot of turtles. No, but they no. give them those jumpy boots. Sam, not you get everything you know about Super <laughs> yeah. Mario. And also, this is kind of a, a grim and gritty take on it's, Mario. Yeah, this isn't this isn't your dad's Super Mario. Yeah, this and isn't your grand not, Blade not, Runner. This ain't no game. Not just grim and gritty in aesthetic and tone, but also thoroughly miserable for everyone involved yeah. in the making of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Bowser again in some Dennis Hopper, Dennis Hopper Dennis right Hopper. off the back of Blue Velvet, who, right? Who said that he just did it because his kids liked the game, and his he, his kids needed new shoes. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> which also is why um, Raul Julia uh, did Street Fighter. Street Fighter is because he's like, oh, my kids liked it, and then and it ended up he being was first, the last movie he did before he passed away. Mm. Yeah, he was very um, ill during Street Fighter. He's very sick, it? and he looked it. Apparently, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo hated. Working on it so much that they were just they drunk were drunk all the for the time. whole movie. That's oh, right. that's and great. So to the point a that good um, reason to come and see this movie. They had a minor, I believe, a drink driving accident on the set of like obviously they went out on the road, but one of them was drunk and driving one of the cars and ended up oh, injuring one that. of the other ones. But yeah, they uh they did not enjoy it being made this there. less fun now. 
Well, I mean, I shouldn't have called it drug driving. I should say Someone it was a threw alcohol. a blue shell <laughs> their car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mario Kart for drunk driving. Yeah. Uh, I think right. someone's finger got broken in that incident, is my recollection. But this is <laughs> based on me behind the themes, from when I presented this movie at Netherworld like four years ago. This, So uh, <laughs> I might not have retained all of that information correctly. It's one of those ones where like the directors pretty much haven't directed another movie before or after. Yep. Husband, wife, Husband duo? and wife. Husband and wife. Yep. I was about want. to say a husband and wife trio. That doesn't make any sense. That can happen. Two husbands, one wife. Absolutely. Uh, they released a, a, a supercut uh, that sort of leaked online recently. Oh, Super no. Mario so Bros. like the longer version of it. Yeah, That's it's right. another half yes. an hour the of Mario Brothers cut. action. Yeah. yeah. John Leguizamo dies in a car accident. Well, the, the, the pre-studio <laughs> gets his finger hurt. It's all, yeah. the, it's all the shots of people jumping out of the way of giant bullets with faces or something. And then to finish this off, mm. we have our horny horror night. That's right. Yeah. The Ooh. horniest of horror. Mm-hmm. Space horror. No, one of them space horror. Life yeah. Force it's, and Hellraiser. Yes. So Life Force, wonderful Toby oh, Hooper, Hooper. Very yeah. horny movie. Yeah. A horny Hooper movie. Yeah. Just uh, uh, an extremely beautiful nude woman uh, walking around nude for, I think, the entire movie. Yep. Real is my species energy. Yeah. She's, yeah. A, she's a vampire from space. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because a there, space were, vampire. there were vampires mm. lying dormant in a spaceship that was behind Haley's Comet. Incredible. Uh, yeah. Which I... I don't know what it is, but for me, uh, abandoned spaceship is just catnip for my brain. Oh, just yeah. as a yeah. concept, I'm like, fuck yes. And then Whatever's yes. in there, I'm you, happy. You give that to Canon Films yep. and Toby Hooper and film it in England, I assume. There's yeah. a lot of English actors in this movie. Yeah. you got a Patrick and Stewart And it's got, arguably, maybe outside of Big Trouble in Little China, the coolest rotoscope lightning oh of all God, the yeah. movies. It looks so, uh, mixed with oh, some yeah. good practical yeah. uh, oh, sort of puppets effects Desiccated... As well. Vampire corpses. They look yeah. so good. It's such a this movie is. It's not a particularly well known movie, uh, despite it's got like a, a a pretty high production value. Like they put a fair amount of money into it, mm. and it's just yeah, it's weird. It looks great. It's based on a novel that my recollection is the novel is just straight up called The Space Vampires. Yeah, I looked it up the other day. <laughs> Why fuck around? <laughs> uh, written by an absolute fucking crackpot uh, called Colin Wilson who he did two different things throughout his career as a writer. Uh, he wrote a bunch of books that were sort of adjacent to the Cthulhu mythos type stuff, so mm-hmm. writing like H.P. Lovecraft style weird fiction. But then he Band wrote fiction. a bunch of like quote-unquote non-fiction about the paranormal. Uh, he wrote a biography of Rasputin that was predicated on the idea that magic is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote several books about reincarnation and things mm-hmm. along those lines. He was this guy that like... You read any of his fiction, like the space vampires and the other stuff he's written, and you're like, oh, this man thinks all of this is real, 100%. Ended up making just a delightful, very weird-looking, very cool movie that I think makes a lot of sense to screen with Hellraiser. And also, no one would have seen this at the movies. and No. I think a lot of people wouldn't have even seen it. So this would be a good introduction to that movie for a lot of people. And I hope a lot of people come to sort of see it as sort of like a little bonus to maybe revisit Hellraiser or to see Hellraiser for the first time. Hellraiser is just such a fucking good movie. The first two Hellraiser movies, which as far as I know, are two of the only three Hellraiser movies that were made. Absolutely. One, two, and four. I mean, the first Hellraiser, (laughs) you know, much like the first Rambo, the most franchise idea that ever came out. Mm. Somehow, inexplicably, both ended up with many, many, many sequels. They yeah. didn't probably need them. Hellraiser has like got to have the sharpest drop-off in terms of... Quality straight away. Maybe, 
I haven't seen. Nah, Inferno yet. was great. Hellraiser, fantastic. Every time I see it, it just gets bumped up again. Like I love it more and more. It's a beautiful, uh, gauzy sort of romance movie set in a spooky house. Yeah, I love yeah. that it's non- a weird small horror tale. Yeah, yeah. non secular horror hell is, movie. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, like- hell is abstract. The first movie that came to my mind when you mentioned both the first oh, time. Yeah. I was like, For a lot of people, yes. that's been their response. They're really? like, yeah, this is the rotoscope lightning kind of yeah. energy encapsulated in a yeah. single yeah. film. Was it that cube? That cube's always got some lightning on it. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah so there's some key, key rotoscope lightning movies that are missing from the lineup, but we encourage everybody to watch these during both. Yeah. Between the other lightning movies. Yeah. Get a taste yeah. for it. Also, if we actively field people to try and find ones that we missed, we're just getting fodder for next year. So it really yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it I was going to say you can leave it open ended, but I didn't want to like uh, throw you guys under the both bus. Yeah, if you have yep. complaints about any movies that um, didn't make it into this year's email, contact at buntavista. <laughs> yeah. Andrew at buntavista.com please. Yeah. Specifically Andrew, yeah. Gripes, complaints, uh, suggestions for next year. Like you might have suggestions for more Rotoscope Lightning movies. Maybe you just have some general grievances with other things. Maybe yeah, just your neighbor's bins or something. Yeah. Uh, throw them yeah. all in the email. Andrew at buntavista.com mm-hmm. Yeah, send them through. <laughs> Well, we extremely hope that uh, people come and join us for these afternoons. There is uh, nothing better in the universe than having exactly two beers and spending an afternoon in darkness watching a movie. Oh, and we get to do that twice in a row on most of these days. Yeah. I think that is incredible. And one of my favorite things about this is over the past couple of years, these unprecedented times, I think uh, cinemas have had to adapt, to sort of delving back and playing older movies is something mm. that more cinemas should do. You know, there's... Dozens of movies out there in the world, maybe hundreds. Dozens. We've <laughs> never dozens. counted. There's yeah. dozens of them. Dozens yeah. of yeah. movies. And so many of them are just ripe for being seen on a big screen. Yeah. And this is a perfect encapsulation of right. um, yeah. this. And it's like, go see some fun movies with your friends. Have two beers, as you said. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. And everyone yeah. is terrible at watching movies at home. Yeah. Everybody. Well, you need yeah. the Horrible. Uh, disciplinary jail mm. of a yeah. cinema. You're yeah. forced to watch it in a, in a space yeah, where you cannot look up who that bit part was on IMDb yeah. and go down the the, the rabbit hole of yeah, looking up 37 yeah. Wikipedia can't pages. Can't take out your phone. Yeah. yeah. Man, like, while you're watching Every movie. five minutes, just like tapping your boyfriend's arm, being like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? Look <laughs> it up. Look it up. Luckily, that's exactly what boyfriends are for. <laughs> yeah. Is being able to look at someone and be like, yeah, that's JK. The, the, the use of boyfriends is for <laughs> using torrenting websites. <laughs> and for looking up actors' names on Letterboxd, and yeah. that's it. I'm not a, a gender essentialist by any means, but I think boyfriends are there to identify Wallace Shawn when he appears <laughs> on screen. <laughs> and then fun Wallace Shawn facts. Was it someone on Twitter recently that said Wallace Shawn was like the best sex they've oh, ever yeah, had? Oh, yeah, they heard a story life. that a lady said that hands down the best sexual experience of her life was Wallace Shawn. Was like, no competition. Wow, okay. Like, 10 times better than yeah, anyone She's like emphatic about, she's like no competition, like absolutely well, like just this, the pinnacle of like sexual desires. He's also, Sean. he's like a massive, like very well read, like leftist, like essentially mm-hmm. a communist mm-hmm. who's been like very active in like union movements and stuff for his entire life. Like it's, I love Wallace Shawn. He was, yeah. when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's that guy that talks weird. And now I'm just like, it's my hero. Yeah. <laughs> the king of fucking. <laughs> yeah. a, a different kind of union movement. <laughs> yeah. 
this is, you may not like it, but this is what peak physical power looks like. This has been Wallace Shawn Hour. Yeah, we love you, Wallace. Yeah. Um, so we've got the lineup for the for the festival down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's probably worthwhile thirty odd minutes into this episode to actually explain what rotoscoping oh. rotoscope lightning actually is. Sure. And I I looked up beforehand just like a little cursory because I was like I'm worried that I'm not using the right terminology for it I'm like rotoscope lightning sounds right Mm. but is it it is I do have a degree in technically animation oh yeah it is on the surface probably misleading to a very small amount of people who uh, know what the term rotoscoping is Mm -hmm. which is usually say tracing frames of uh, film of people moving much like you see in uh, old Disney movies. Yeah, and the like Ralph Bakshi movies. Ralph Bakshi and like, movies yeah, technique pioneered, I believe, by our dear friends. Fleischer. The, the Fleischer brothers. Yeah, Fleischer. And it, yes. and it kind of... It's so legit. cool. So rotoscope lightning is effectively an animation style um, where you've got live action film and then you're animating over the top of it. But the way that they do it's really cool. So basically they draw onto a clear cell... Um, a black line effectively and then they film it in negative so the black line becomes blindingly white and that's how it becomes the lightning strike and then afterwards they add the like you know the telltale purple hue and glow and all that kind of stuff but the thing that I really like about the rotoscope lightning is that it looks better than real yep you know what I mean yeah Yeah. like lightning is cool in still photography (laughs) You know, but it's not. But it's not something that looks good when filmed. It's got the same you know? energy of a very specific like stop motion animation of yep. doing the thing to your brain where you watch it on a film and you're like, shit, shit, that rules. That yeah. fucking rules. <laughs> yeah, it's better than life. And so you know, <laughs> one, yeah, one thing that was really cool to me about when you guys announced both. Fuck me. Both. <laughs> um, if you just pronounce it properly, we'd yeah, really yeah, appreciate sorry, you taking sorry. this festival sure, seriously. Respect, it somehow nice. gets harder every time I say it. There's two Fs. There's both. That both. But it was really cool to me how like the response to this festival has been not just people going, oh, I recognize that niche. Like that's a cool thing that I also have noticed in movies. But it's had this real kind of visceral response that – almost feels more like a throwback to I just miss a time when movies looked really beautiful pre-CGI, pre-like, yeah. you know, modern day kind of VFX and maybe there's there's something to it there that, I don't know, it's like dug in, made people tick a little bit. I think we might be exploiting people's nostalgia a little bit. Mm. Uh, if you are between the age of, say, 30 and 40, uh, a lot of this, this effect was sort of peaking in your formative years of watching movies, mm. but you know you didn't have the language to describe it because you you never heard the words rotoscope lightning before in your life. You probably heard the word lightning before, and maybe even the word <laughs> rotoscope, but not you know next to each other. Uh, and you had never sort of thought of it as a specific phenomenon either. Mm. So I think you 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 just you know there was a lot of movies in the eighties and early nineties that just that was the effect du jour where they're like, oh, we got to let you know something mystical is happening. So they check that in there. And then you don't really file that away. And then when you think about it, you're like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit of that in Gremlins too or whatever. Yeah. Like where you're like, yeah. I remember seeing, you know, and then 
for me, when we first started doing Two Bit Movie Club, uh, my like overarching theme of the movies that I wanted to show in Netherworld was essentially ones that had rotoscope lightning in them. It wasn't explicit, but I was like, all right, your live action Street Fighter, your live action Mortal Kombat, your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all those sorts of movies from the early 90s, late 80s, that was defined a very specific look and feel where they were like kind of dark, but they had these special effects in them where, yeah, I think we're tapping into a part of people's brains where they were like, that's what I liked seeing as a child. And mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that for a while. It's like a visual shorthand for a certain kind of movie, like yeah. a certain kind of genre. But I, it's, it's We've tried to convey that in the copy that we've written for everything, but I think it's kind of hard. But for me, it was just like you saw that and you're like, well, the movie's trying to tell you weird shit is happening, mm. but that weird shit is cool. Unearthliness <laughs> yeah. of some kind. Yeah. yeah, It is cool. And that's that's basically sums it all up, right? Yeah. And it's cool. It's cool. I don't know if you, you guys know this, but the um, Forbidden Planet that you're screening is actually the first use of rotoscope lightning ever. Yeah. Yeah, a guy called, oh, sorry, Joshua. <laughs> Joshua Nita. <laughs> well, you know he know. invented rotoscope lightning. So he was the visual effects supervisor for Disney in the 50s. So he did Pinocchio, Snow White, Fantasia, like all of these classics. So a few small films there. Lots of, yeah. Yeah. Lots oh, yeah. of yeah. rotoscoping. You know, like, this little underdog all... company called Disney, you yeah. know. Yeah. And MGM approached him and they're like, we're making this fabulous sci-fi movie, but we need to like bring something a little special, a little little sprinkling of seasoning um, over <laughs> the top of it. And they lent him out to MGM and he like invented the the like negative um, filming oh. effect of how to do the, the rotoscope lighting. And Forbidden lighting. Planet's very greedy as well in mm. that it's not just the rotoscope lighting in that movie that really is, is groundbreaking special effects. There's plenty of stuff that happens in that movie that uh, really stepped it up. Uh, even the... Um, uh, even though it was previously used, the digital mats that they use as backgrounds in that. Oh my uh, God, they, the matte paintings they, in that movie. Are... It's insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane stuff. Works of art in there. It sounds beautiful. I read that the, the um, creature of Ide, is it? The, the, yep. Like the, the, the demon. Id monster. Yep, the Id yeah, monster. Yeah. Um, they had to like edit out a bunch of the original footage of it um, that they like animated because it was too scary yeah. for, oh, for screen audiences. That. 1956. They're like, there's lightning. I don't know. It's too freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to get in there and help these guys. I think it's such a wonderful thing as well, like comparative to so many of the other science fiction movies that would have been coming out at the time of mm. them being genuinely B movies, not not in like a uh, denigrating way. Like they were genuinely B movies. Yeah. They B pictures. Are... They would be the second one that was screening. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the you know, like kind of science fiction movie was like, what if there was a big ant? Yeah, <laughs> what if there was a big? There are like four cockroach. of those, and they're all amazing. Yeah. All of the big yeah. ant movies turned out amazing for some reason. I would love, I would love to have you know existed in the fifties to see what the actual in person reaction to Forbidden Planet at the yeah. time was. Yeah. Whether yeah, well, Forbidden Planet got nominated for an Oscar. Well, it is based off Shakespeare's The Tempest, you know. It is. Oh, it's high-brow oh. stuff. Yeah. This oh. is a proper film festival. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, probably not the first movie with a Dr. Morbius in it to be nominated <laughs> for an Oscar. This is now the Morbius book. <laughs> this is the segue I needed. There is a character called Dr. Morbius in Forbidden Planet. It's real. You've been playing the long game. Morbius fever, Morbius baby. For like the moment we stepped in through the door, Ben started just, just running down the fucking seconds. Morbius. <laughs> uh, so I think it's probably about time we start talking about day bills as a concept. So I was saying to my, my dad the other day, I'm like trying to describe 
like feature presentation describing Borf and like the the partnership of it and he's like there's just like a lot of stuff you kind of need to understand before you get to the crux of why this stuff is cool (laughs) and I'm like which is true but like that's also very fun to me as well so like you know there's a few like layers of knowledge you got to like peel off the off the onion for it and so you know we're talking about rotoscope lightning we've got the film festival we've got this like amazing selection of films and then we have this art show that Sam and I are curating that we're all curating together that is basically asking a bunch of artists to create a film poster that corresponds with one of the films in the festival and the type of poster that we're doing for this is the Australian Day Bill. Ben, could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, So the world has countless different kinds of formats uh, Mm -hmm. for the kind of posters that are around the world and really strangely... Uh, Australia ended up with um, a very particular format, which is is kind of the perfect format, in my, my humble opinion. Mm. Um, the reasoning for it is uh, paper space. Um, basically, um, there was a couple of different sizes for movie posters in Australia. Um, one was more of like a stock standard poster size. They called that a one sheet. Um, the other kind was the Australian Day Bill. And this existed in a bunch of different sizes over the years, but the predominant size for it, uh, which was from about World War II through to about the late 80s, early 90s, was 13 inch uh, by 30. Uh, so a nice skinny portrait. I suppose the closest thing uh, that would be to that is like a theatre day bill. Uh, but most theatre day bills look like they're for fan of the opera or cats or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, these got the uh, benefit of movie imagery to sort of draw upon. Um, In Australia, uh, really strangely, uh, for at least probably the first 30 years of that particular size, um, because it was a unique format size, uh, they couldn't really just take the digital assets. Sorry, not the digital assets. They didn't have digital assets in the 40s. Those digital assets would be handed out. (laughs) Take the exact sort of same artwork that they did for a lot of the overseas releases. They ended up having local artists um, end up creating uh, unique content for them. Um, and then when we got to sort of like the 70s and 80s, uh, that practice kept up until about the 80s when they did start using the the um, uh, overseas assets for them, but they got to format them in a slightly different way. Um, and personally, I just think that uh, having sort of like a skinny portrait is is a really, really, really cool visual it's thing. It's a challenging shape for an artist to not only like create a composition in, but also fit all of the information of the movie, like all that kind of stuff. And you see the comparisons between the stock standard film posters of, you know, in America and that, and then compare it to the Australian Daybill version. And sometimes you'll have the exact same artwork in both posters, except the Australian Daybill, they've obviously painted extra little bits at the bottom and the top to try and fill out this space. Everyone has weird feet. (laughs) Exactly. Everyone's standing in tall grass or or they'll just completely fuck off the original artwork and do something like a completely original composition. Forced them to make new cool stuff just for Australia, which was an extremely And so they could also add a big thing at the bottom of it saying not suitable for children, Yeah, which was a a primary thing to put on posters at the time. It's such an odd visual format in that, like, obviously we have two eyes generally on average. Mm. Uh, So we are used to seeing things in a a wider sort of aspect, which is why generally photos are landscape Mm. and, like, our eyes are meant to look at something that is a little bit wider than it is tall and then otherwise we scan for new visual information. Having something that's tall and narrow is completely counterintuitive to how we look at things. So, mm. like, 
you obviously need to have a very strong focal point to bring the eye into it. But then the way that we take in that information is scanning it up and down. So you can sort of stack elements into it in a way that you wouldn't. It becomes instead of like taking in the whole of an image, you're taking in elements of an image in sequence. It's, it's like just a collage yeah, almost. Yeah. Like there's a hierarchy there, and yeah. then, which is pretty ideal for a movie poster where you need to convey certain information. Like several elements at once. Well, not even at once. Like several elements instead of just being like looking at it once, being like, all right, this is my thing. Yeah. You want to be like, all right, first, oh, there's my hero image, yep. which is the main guy. What else? Oh, there's a speedboat at the bottom. Oh, there's some <laughs> bikini ladies at the top. All right, here we and go. Then, what's all this tied to? Oh, look at that. There's the title of the movie directly under that. <laughs> yeah. And the idea that, you know, you'd have these artists creating these posters a lot of the time without ever having actually seen the film yeah. or, awesome. or, have, or have any information on it. Part of the charm is how people interpret these things or maybe reusing whatever assets yeah. they had in a bizarre way. What was that example you used the other day? It was like a video game artwork that was very different to the... Uh, it was Mega Man. Mega Man, the, yeah, like, yeah, The yeah, American right. release of Mega Man is a pretty famous like uh, painting. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful in how like ridiculous it is compared to like all the Japanese artwork for Mega Man. Yep. And it's just this like attempt at like photorealistic kind of like man <laughs> in a Mega <laughs> the, the, Man the, suit. The only information the artist got but was like, Mega Man. You know, they're, like, they're like, all right, it's this realistic man with the most like bizarre leg anatomy I've ever seen. <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of looks like mm -hmm. he's meant to be riding a horse. Mm -hmm. uh, but in like a tropical, I don't know, there's like palm trees if I remember right. But just that thing of like we have the these fragments of what this is supposed to be. It's so open to interpretation. You have your source material, which is like eight pixels of yeah, face. It's like a blue block. Yeah. yeah. Like With a, a black and white photo that the production company sent yeah. you of like the sketches from the original thing. You don't yeah. you're not getting like the the big like kit brief from no, the from the production not, company. You're not given with the like, visual Bible yeah. and all this stuff. But yeah, but go back to the day bills and it's like we we're talking about with digital assets, mm. but sometimes before that they'll just get maybe the US or the European poster and have to just get out the old Stanley knife and cut up and rearrange to fit the taller format. Mm. And sometimes you see ones that are a bit like uh, less care put into them. There's a lot of negative space at the top and bottom. <laughs> uh, Again, just painting tiny little feet at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I wish more of them did paint tiny little feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ben, you are an avid collector of daybills as well. You've got quite a, a sizable collection of not just daybills, but all things kind of beautiful movies, pop culture, etc. Do you have like a favourite kind of hallmark of the daybills that stand out to you? You mentioned the not suitable for children um, kind of comment at the bottom there. That's pretty cool. I think, I, th I think with the Australian day bills, it's the ones that you look at where you're like, that is weird and unusual. <laughs> uh, I think we saw a taxi driver one the other day that you just look at it and you're like, who approved that? Who, what, how did that <laughs> exist? It was so minimalist in its design. It looked like a child scrawled a copy of a taxi driver poster, just black on white. Um, Incredible design. Like, it's fantastic. But I, th I think uh, my favorite kind of it, sort of like there's a particular period from mm. like the 50s to the 70s where they're doing them as lithographs where they have a particular look to it. That, I, that for me, that's the ultimate crack. Yeah. But I think larger than that, the thing that I find really attractive about them is that daybills are not something you find in the wild. They're a very strange thing to come across. Um, they would have only been sent to cinema chains um, and drive-in theatres uh, and whatnot as promo material. The majority of them would have been thrown out 
The only reason they exist in the universe is because someone that worked at the theatre held on to them because someone that took over a theatre, put them into a box somewhere and kept putting them around the place or, or because they gave them to family members or whatever. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. So there wasn't much of a reason to it. Um, Australia doesn't have a huge flea market culture. Um, our, you know, we have obviously do garage sales or whatever, but families wouldn't be, ho- you know, holding collections of Australian daybills in, in these. So it's almost immediately a collector market from the get-go. It's only gone from a couple of sources onwards. Um, and really strangely with Australian daybills, uh, it's it's stayed a really cheap market. And especially in comparison to a lot of movie poster markets uh, overseas. If you look through like uh, US one sheets, um, they go for a lot of money, especially stuff from the 50s and 60s. Even pretty innocuous stuff goes for a decent amount of money. But for a long time now in Australia... Uh, you can go through certain movie websites who are still very diligently collecting them and, and buying collections from people who used to own cinema chains in the 60s and 70s. Um, uh, or eBay would be the primary place. And the main cost of like an Australian day bill is probably between 20 and $60. Mm. That, that's, that's, that's the majority of them. Anything above that is actually genuinely a rarity. Impervious <laughs> to inflation, just yeah. like... <laughs> so it becomes a very collectible format um, yeah. and a lot of... It, it's just absolutely rife with stuff that even if the actual content was rubbish, even if the movie was absolute trash in the same vein as like really, really, really awesome looking VHS horror mm, covers. Yeah. It's got that exact same appeal of just like, I just want that on my wall because it looks oh, yeah. old and awesome. Yeah. And also just by virtue of the media type, like you'd have specific cinemas that were making their own day bills, like Sam was saying with the, the cutouts and collaging mm. and stuff. So, you know, one movie might have several different types yeah. of day bills, not just one universal type. So you've got this kind of really cool, like uh, uniqueness to it. And I think maybe it's possible that it hasn't, like the market hasn't driven up the prices for it because I think a lot of people don't actually know what they are. Yeah, and they like, don't, don't, haven't recognised them as like part of kind of Australian cinematic oh, yeah. history. Yeah. It's and like a very niche knowledge. It's some real yeah. deep nerd shit. It yeah. is. Which is yeah. why it's fun that like now this is obviously our second time doing something around the Australian day bill. It's like talking to people about it. The you get moment, the blank stares. You well, sound crazy. Well, yeah, the moment <laughs> you start a conversation off with you're like, well, paper formats come in and you're like, oh, It was fuck. folded twice yeah. and then yeah. sent off to the cinemas. Like, it's, it's, uh, they could fit three to a page when printing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Post-war penny pinching. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's so cool. Like I, I just think about, uh, you know, particularly around the 50s and 60s with these that, this is a pre-Mondo culture, right? The idea now of having a distributor or something along those lines finding an artist they like and saying, we're going to pay you a ton of money to like remix the poster for this mm-hmm. movie. That's just not how it ever worked. It was the studio goes, we have our guy that paints posters and he's painting this poster. This is the poster for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then Australia comes along and says, nah. It's not going to fucking fit, will it? Because it's very tall and narrow. you got to mm-hmm. find someone else. Mm-hmm. It's like when you do a weird dietary requirement at McDonald's or whatever, so they have to make the burger fresh. Like oh, It's yes. like the, you're forcing them to kind of make a unique spin on it in this way where we got something weird and interesting from artists that were either maybe, I, I don't want to say not as not as skilled, but not as like... Not commercial. Yeah, not as commercial as the person who would have made it for the studio in the first place, for Universal or whoever. Because it's a bit more just like guy whose job is to like come up with visuals for this. It's it's a bit more like workman-like of like my job is to make something practical. Yeah. Mm, Like mm. it's more of like a craft in a way. Yeah. Yeah, If, If I could bring it full circle for just a moment, I think there's like a really nice... 
uh, parallel between the idea of the rotoscope lightning and the day bills in general, where it's kind of like the the hand done kind of stodgy versions of these film posters <laughs> yeah. are kind of better than like the Schmick. Yeah, absolutely. The Schmick yeah. version is more, kind of better than real. You know what have, I mean? Yeah. Like they have more charm. They have the human element and present. And I think like with the the last feature presentation as well, um, one of the most successful elements of that show was that if you put a film in the hands of an artist they are going to draw up these visual elements that may not stand out to people that are just movie fans so you're you're everyone that watches a movie you you kind of walk away with different things that you really loved about it and I think putting it in the hands of an illustrator they're going to take the stuff that that you know maybe like a different interpretation of it. So they're not going to go, oh, fuck yeah, Harrison Ford. I'm going to draw Harrison Ford and all of the actors in this movie and going to put them all on one poster because the actors are the thing that's coolest about this movie. They're going to go, the fucking rotoscope lightning was clearly the coolest part of this movie. And so they're going to take those visual elements and then splash it on the page. And and that's what makes those things so unique. Which, yeah, for me, it like we have a a really good selection of artists that are all going to do takes on movies that I, I... obviously really love because we chose them for this film festival and like Sam for you doing you know like I, I believe you're doing Invasion of Astro Monster Godzilla, right? baby. I am yes where like that Mr. is Godzilla. one of Mr. my favourite movies in the lineup, and I've been a huge fan of your art for like fucking ages like I know that you're I've, I've drawn a few Godzillas in recent time and there have been and, some good fucking um, Godzillas it's been very fun and but you have like a very specific lens through like the your artwork lends itself to mm. very specific things. Like I don't know what a Godzilla looks like necessarily when you focus on the slime aspect of that Godzilla, you know, whereas what, you God. have a slime focused lens and I get to see that in a day bill, which I'm, yeah, uh, well, I'm very excited to see. Maybe we'll do a, maybe you guys can do a slough. <laughs> slime. Fuck, Wait, that's, that's not slough? a bad idea. That is fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll oh, reverse like engineer a toxic the Avengers version. Oh, like fuck, slime is a rich vein. We did think about maybe December well, we being toxic. All right, part two, yeah. slime. We'll figure this out. <laughs> yeah, fuck. We'll come up with a good word anyway, that, that makes yeah. sense for. <laughs> In terms of approaching these movies, like you were saying before, like when a movie poster was mandated by the studio, it's usually like, hey, we have Harrison Ford. He needs to be the poster because. People just need to go, that's Harrison Ford. I will watch Han Harrison Solo's Ford in this. Holy movie. fuck. That's yeah. yeah. And in the hindsight of like a show like feature presentation where you get artists to do their take on it, they're not constrained to that. It's more like what what appeals to you from this movie? Uh, what speaks to your like, I don't know, style? So you can just riff on it and take what you like and it's not solely for the purpose of advertising the movie. It's just like... I want to do my love letter to whatever it is I like about this movie. Yeah. In absolutely. a cool format. like yeah. Without like the, the kind of like branding parameters that yeah. you usually yeah. put through when you're doing like commissioned yeah, artwork well, or whatever. So with like the previous feature presentation, there were heaps of them where people were like, I just love this poster. I don't know what this movie is, mm. but I will buy, I will spend my hard earned money on buying this poster because it looks cool. And then I'll watch. Part of the whole appeal of, Movie posters in general, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like you want to catch someone's eye and make them interested so that hopefully they will spend money to go and watch this movie. Or yeah, We will also cynically be using these posters as advertising material. Yeah. But, you know, they're not being made for that purpose. Secondary in nature. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. they're there to put on your wall. Yeah, look exactly. Yeah, we just want people to make shit that looks cool. And, yeah. like, yeah, there's not that 
aspect of trying to trick people into seeing a movie. It's someone who has watched a movie and been like, well, this is what I love about it. So this is the thing I'm going to put front and center. And then you get this, this extra perspective on it. I do think anyone going to both is not being tricked so much. I think it's, uh, Although if you are being tricked, we will still take your money. Also, yeah. The original lightning grifters. <laughs> I was um I was very fortunate about 15 years ago to work with a uh, work closely with a guy who actually ran a drive-in cinema in the late 70s. Wow. Amazing. Um and as a result of that, his house was absolutely just filled with all the promo material because he never threw it all out. Um so when I was sort of asking him sort of like drilling him about it, I'm like, what have you got? I want to see it. I want to see it. Um he ended up just bringing in um boxes of of some of the shit they had lying around. He's like, I don't know what's oh in there God. because it's all just like the way tables are. They they're folded in like mm. two folds. Yeah. So if you're gonna keep them, you're gonna keep them in a relatively small piece of real estate and they're all gonna be flat and you won't be able to see any of them, even if you've got hundreds of them there. So I can understand if there hasn't been sort of like a huge push for the collector market for it, because it's not like VHS, which over mm. especially like post COVID has gone absolutely bonkers on oh, like yeah. in the collector market. They've gone from something that you could maybe collect for twenty bucks or thirty bucks a piece to they are going for sixty to a hundred dollars a piece, which is really strange. Um, but that's happened with a lot of collectors' markets over 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 COVID. It doesn't seem to have done that to Australian day bills. It's still a relatively untapped collector market. Mm. But I get it in terms of they're not as readily visual to put into a house somewhere. They're not like trading cards that you yeah. keep into a folder and just flick through. They're yeah. not VHS that you put in the spine out of the wall. They're not vinyl that you can use as, you know, like a, a beautiful representation of, mm. of, of your loves in the universe. For a lot of it, unless you can fork out to pay for unique size frames, incredibly yes. unique size frames, <laughs> yes. um, they are generally going to sit in in a pile uh, uh, folded up and where they sort of need to be folded and fold out. But I personally love pulling them out. Well, that's well, the... F- Fun, they're digging through, like, what's in here? Yeah. Mm. Maybe I'll find exactly what that movie is that yeah. I want. Like, uh, a while ago, coming across a stall somewhere. Supernova. Bills. Yep. You had to the dig. first time, just digging through. You it was have like, to dig. I'm going to look for, like, a Videodrome one. Yeah. Digging through and then finding it and be like, oh, shit, like, I manifested it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> but, like, no, just the fact that there were so many there. It's like, if I have this in mind, it's probably in here somewhere. And yeah. just that first day digging through and like a few of us and just being so excited to find this just like, kind of like you were saying, just piles and piles, like mm. not organized. Anyone that's ever selling them, you're like, yeah. well, what sort of stuff have you got in there? I'm like, I don't know, man. And the just, guy, just, yeah. he was he was exactly <laughs> like that. And after that first day of like maybe four or five of us sort of like freaking out and digging through, he was like, oh, Go back the next day. <laughs> every price is jacked up. By yeah, like he's basically 30%. like this guy had a stall at Supernova. Like five of us, like you know, in our twenties, like yeah. black leather jackets and shit, going be like, oh hell yeah, day bills. This is sick. And then like we'll come back later and buy some tomorrow. And then he's like, oh shit, the kids are here to buy it. Like rents obviously going up. So like, we got to yeah, like, like wait, people jack want up these? the prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't. I uh, I think the Videodrome one was maybe a bit out of my budget at the time, but I did walk away with very nice uh, Australian Day Bill poster for the arena with uh, Pam Greer. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautifully made. There's a, there's a very particular period that looks the coolest, though. Like, yeah. It's, it's the lithotones. It's, ex- it's extremely the uh, 60s lithographs. Like. Yeah. If I was queen of the universe, we'd be doing lithotone oh, yeah, onto yeah. newspaper. But ironically, for, for this, but 
what was the cheapest the format, cheapest yeah. thing to do and working within these budgetary restraints is now expensive to do. Yeah. yeah. Just completely yeah. If you want to spend like two hundred and fifty dollars on a well, brand new like, day. Yeah, like we were like, we were later. initially looking into like printing them on the sort of like newsprint and stuff like that. Something a bit more faithful yeah. to mm. the yeah. what day bills are printed on, which is just like cheap disposable paper. Turns out nowadays that's uh, annoying and difficult and expensive to do yeah. to find someone who wants to do it in the way you want. There's this great on yeah. flow effect of that in Australian day bills as well, and that all the advertising for the movies from the 70s mm. makes the movies look like they're from the 60s and 50s. Yeah, oh, that's just very Australia in general. Isn't <laughs> it? Um, well, I think we've pretty much covered everything today that I wanted to chat about the like details of the festival and rotoscope lightning did you guys have anything you wanted to add um or plug before we, we if you live it? in brisbane we cannot urge you enough to keep up to date with uh netherworld events page and maybe scratch bar events page as well just to keep in the know of what two-bit movie club events are coming up yeah mm-hmm. yeah we got a we got a facebook group you can join uh it's two-bit movie club uh and that we just post everything that we're doing in there because as we were saying before there's basically it's very hard to actually reach people on any sort of social media mm-hmm. at the moment if you want uh, to see what's um going on with this festival check out www.bolf.com how do you spell that ben <laughs> that is b-o-r-l-f-f.com bolf.com and how is it pronounced just just one more time also we actually had some some early chats about this where <laughs> we had to arrive at a consensus around it yeah bolf Wolf, Um, the lovely Luke Shield has done some enamel pins that you can get as being part oh, of yeah. part of a few Fucking of the beautiful. um screenings. You can get a season pass for cheaper than it would be for individual passes. Yeah. You can get double feature passes for cheaper than it would be to get the individual movies by themselves. Yeah, and, and what, like if you're already out of the house. You might as well see two fucking movies. You might as well. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Go home? What the di- what's the difference between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. than 8 p.m. and 10 p.m.? You're not doing anything special between 6 and 8 p.m. No. Go see no. a movie. You're going to go home and you're going to look at the front page of Netflix and you're like, I don't want to watch any of this exactly. shit. And then you're going to go home early after spending an hour of scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. Just, just a license. You can have your beer in the movie. That's true. You yeah. can drink at the cinema. It is licensed. Yep. When is the uh, launch? When's the... Screening of June with Steady As She Goes. It is on Friday, the 29th of July. July. Friday, the 29th of July. Both kicks off. uh, And then every following weekend. It's that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to give you exactly four days rest. Amazing. And then we hit you, you again, again for three days. <laughs> Why are you doing this like it's a monster truck yeah. show? <laughs> Friday, I, Friday, Friday. Can we, <laughs> lighting, lighting. can we get some monster trucks? Yeah, uh, I'll, yes. I'll see what I can do. Actually, we fucking... Can we hit up? Can we get Gravedigger on the blower and see what they're I'm up sorry. To? Everyone wants monster trucks, but no one wants a the, June dance. The Brisbane monster <laughs> truck show is I on I was a big right advocate now. for worm the dance. Archerfield Speedway, yeah. This weekend. Know. Really? As we're recording this, it's happening. Great. That means I'm hearing it while I sleep tonight. <laughs> Lastly, if you want to see... The only Brisbane slime movie film festival. Yeah, you must come to the lightning one version of it. Is that balls? Slop balls. Slop. Slop. We could make it harder to say, Ben. We could every year. How about we get rid of every vowel out of it? These these are perfect ideas. (laughs) Slime. Film festival located in Brisbane. Slurp. Slurp. So it's just like slurp. 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 
Nothing but consonants, just the yeah. whole way yeah. But just to be in there as <laughs> On well. On the bright side, yeah. none of these domains yeah. are going to be bought. So. No, this yeah. is so good. I can't oh, it might be like a, like a Welsh local council or yeah. something. <laughs> or just like someone's mashed a keyboard yeah. and yeah. bought all these domains. Hoping My cat that. bought a domain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, thank you so much for coming and chatting about the festival. I'm so excited. And Sam and I, we're going to be spending the next few weeks uh, chatting with each of the artists uh, yeah. that we've commissioned to create their own original yeah, day bills. To talk to each of these artists about the specific movie that they're doing a poster for mm-hmm. uh, and a bit of their like insight, a bit of their process. Yeah. And maybe. just about, you know, movies. bloody, bloody movies, <laughs> mate. What, what, what do artists like about movies? It's far often less about the movie and far often more about the VHS cover they saw when they or were eight and the gave poster, them nightmares for the rest the of poster. their life. The poster, like, yeah, it's <laughs> so much of what gets you hooked into movies is just peeking through the the peephole of of the film through yeah, through its artwork, or just what you imagine from seeing that cover or that poster, yeah, and just hoping like what is that what is that and hoping that maybe the artwork will reflect what the actual movie is yeah. and it's a 50 50 can't wait to see all the artworks that? yeah me too yeah we, we're seeing a few roll in and they're looking what would be the best out. worm dance song to go out on if if i could if i could put a little worm song on top oh, of this it's obviously it's weapon of choice by fat boy slim uh, yeah. oh i shit. believe it is dr worm <laughs> <laughs> I very embarrassingly did not know that Weapon of Choice was about June until you pointed it out to me very recently. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can't. I even have watched imagine. that video clip, my favorite video clip ever made. What the fuck? So else? many times. What would those words mean? <laughs> I don't know. All I didn't right. think it was about June. Yeah, no, I didn't no, think the, I didn't the, the video clip with Christopher Walken dancing around a hotel lobby <gasps> was about dance. June. Walk His without dance. rhythm, and you yeah. won't attract the worm. Fuck me. Yeah. It makes sense when you say it. Oh my god! I'm with you, Ben, Jimin. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. I like that. I'm gonna say the menu music for Worms Armageddon. Oh, hey. yeah. creepy music for all those oh, guys. It's really, that's 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 really intense. Yeah, it's really, it's just haunting. I feel yeah. like that composer never played the game. This is like a daybill situation. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. like writing the music for a completely different it's game. Like, oh, it yeah. says Armageddon. So yeah. hmm. that's sad. Yeah. yeah, but Worms. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We, we need some music to storm the beaches. Yeah. I'm just going to edit this by just slowly turning down the audio. I'm not a real doctor, but I